Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple royal reminders, as always, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating, pretty please. Send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm okay. I feel like it has been a pretty uh, wild news week. We're kind of just coming off of that with everything over the weekend with Philip, and I feel like just also the the announcement yesterday with the Derek Chauvin trial. I think that that was a pivotal pivotal moment. I think we got the right Definitely. reaction, you know, right verdict in that. But I think yeah. you know it's still more about accountability. There's still a long way to go for justice and all of that. But yeah. I definitely feel so like much work to be it's been done. an emotional week for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I liked what um, Kamala Harris said. She said a measure of justice isn't the same as equal justice. Yeah. So, you know, we've got this verdict, which we had all hoped for. But I think now it's like we got to get to work. You yeah. Know? So I, I do think it's it's a hopeful start. And to, you're um, coming off of vaccine number shot number two. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry Roberta. if you can hear it in my voice that I'm still struggling. I know I got it Monday and now it's Wednesday and I'm just um, – I it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I don't want to scare anyone away, but I just – fever and chills and all that. Um, and But I'll be yeah. okay. I feel you will. Ex- you're on the I'm, road to I know. I'm being excited wonderful. For it's a real milestone. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. A lot happening, though, in a, a single lot. week. <laughs> a lot. Definitely. But you had, a, you had a good weekend otherwise. Everything's okay? Everything's good. Yeah. I mean, I so I didn't get to watch the funeral. I was actually at a wedding this weekend, so I didn't get to watch it as it happened, but I got to rewatch it later and was so moved. I feel like it was such a somber event. I know. And what was your reaction in general? What what stood out to you? Yeah, I feel like my initial reaction, um, I think what was striking was, um, I mean, this seems so obvious, but just how few people there were. Um, you know, you had a lot of, of military personnel, and I think that that was um, very beautiful, the way that they kind of accompanied everyone to um, up to the uh, chapel, St. George's Chapel. But I do feel like it was super pared down and and what he would have wanted. And I think, you know, what struck me was all of the personal touches, like the cap on the casket, the sword. Um, There was his riding gloves and cap on the seat and that of little the like red sugar cube cup for the horse yeah the red little yep, yeah exactly so yeah it was all those what did what was your reaction to it yeah i mean i think that the naval cap just really got me like i think that in general sitting and watching it you know we've had so much loss and so much grief for in like i think grief is so universal for everyone this year mm-hmm. and and all the time and i think just watching any funeral but especially prince philip it's just the end of an era for the royals and it was emotional. And I think, it, it, like, I kept thinking of what Princess Anne said in her statement where it's like, you know it's going to happen, you know, meaning her father's passing, but you're never really ready when it comes. And I think I just yeah. kind of – that's, you know, Prince Philip was 99. Like, it wasn't a total surprise, but it mm-hmm. it just still kind of felt gut-wrenching to to see it, you know, well, and, it felt gut-wrenching. and see people grieving. Yeah, and it felt gut-wrenching in the sense of, like, this, you know, is – kind of practice for the queen in a way and mm-hmm. that's what is really scary to me is like i we know that that's obviously coming at some point you know it could be years off you know who knows but it just that part is heart-wrenching to me because it's it's like watching watching like what will be kind of in the last of the great generation so but we have a really exciting episode so we, we need have to a get very very exciting episode coming up we are chatting with omid Scobie, co-host of abc's the airpod royal editor at harper's bazaar and the author of finding freedom how many of you stopped everything to read that book last summer <laughs> uh so we're we are chatting with him we recorded it on tuesday just to kind of give you guys a 
you know, I, royal news breaks so quickly that I, I just want to give that time marker. Uh, but also, we're also testing Queen Elizabeth. It is her birthday today, the day we're recording. And Prince Louis is turning three this week. They have that little birthday twinning, which is always so fun. Uh, that and so much more coming up. And we always save time for a royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. I feel like we should be cheersing the queen with champagne or, ooh, a gin and Dubonnet. Ugh. I know. We kind of blew it because I'm drinking water. <laughs> I'm drinking iced coffee. Oops. We'll do it next time. We'll do, we'll it, do next it next time. We'll do it next time. A belated toast. I feel like it's yes. 930 in the morning, so it would be a little bit rough to kick it off with gin. Although I think in this, she would she would approve. <laughs> <laughs> she would definitely approve. I'm going to have one tonight in her honor. So. Yeah, Definitely. So in lieu of a reader email, we wanted to share an interesting Instagram comment. There were obviously lots of reactions to the funeral on the Royally Obsessed account. This one caught our eye. This comment said, it looked like a black couture runway out there. For real, though, people were dressed better at this funeral than they do all year. And I have to to admit that one of my first reactions was just how unbelievably striking Kate Middleton looked. I I feel like it was like, this is our the future queen consort and i was you know that photo that chris jackson snapped i feel like that is an award winner right there you talk about remember the sussex's photo that samir hussein shot of them in the rain like i just see that photo of kate in the back of the car oh, with her yeah with her eyes you yeah. know mask and the little you know just very vintage look i was i feel like there's like, so much wow. feeling in her eyes mm-hmm. too like so much emotion i liked the full length one i thought her I mean, she's just she looked stunning. And obviously it's not about the fashion, but I love this observation that this person had because it. I mean, it really is like a chance to show off like we don't see the royal family in all together and in outfits very much anymore, you know, so that was really interesting to see. Um, I I was I loved Eugenie's coat. I thought her full length coat was really pretty. Um, Beatrice looked great. Her hair was like a very different style than normal. She had it long and in a ponytail. So I think for me, it was just so striking that this is the future of the monarchy. Like we're seeing sort of a changing of the guard literally Mm -hmm. with Philip's passing. And I think it just felt like everyone suddenly felt more mature, more grown up to me. Like there was just something about their fashion that kind of commanded that. But it was it was interesting to see. I also really liked Amelia Noyes, who we love, who's come on our podcast, uh, the illustrator, she did a yes. beautiful, beautiful lineup of all the royals in so attendance, good. just so all good. wearing black leading up to the queen. And you had like Sophie and Camilla and Zara and everyone in there. And I thought it was it was a really kind of beautiful tribute. To and that. then the queen in the front with her head kind of bowed yeah. down. It was it was just it was so good. Amelia is incredible and we love her. Such so a much. talent. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, this week in royal history, though. This week in royal history. As we mentioned at the top, the birth of Queen Elizabeth II, she turns 95 this week, and Prince Louis. Uh, so Queen Elizabeth was born on April 21st, 1926, in Mayfair at the London home of her maternal grandparents, the Earl and Countess of Strathmore. Prince Louis arrived almost a century later on April 23rd, 2018, at the Linda Wing of St. Mary's Hospital, and he is obviously the third born to William and Kate. So we know for a fact that the Queen has no real plans to celebrate this year. The period of mourning goes on until April 23rd. We won't see the gun salutes, which were also canceled last year due to COVID out of respect for that. And Trooping the Color is also canceled for the second year in a row, which is her official birthday celebration where her actual birthday is in April. We did see a statement from the Queen that was released today, and it was actually all about Philip. She said, just uh, paraphrasing, she said, I have on the occasion of my 95th birthday today received many messages of good wishes, which I very much appreciate. And then she continues, while as a family we are in a period of great sadness, it has been a comfort to us all to see and to hear the tributes paid to my husband from those within the UK, the Commonwealth, and around the world. It's just clear that Philip is still very much the focus for them. I mean, I think it w- it's the timing is tough where it's like, you know, it's it would be very difficult to be celebratory immediately after this weekend. Yeah, I had hoped that they would all... Um, well, that Prince Harry would stay for a luncheon or something to celebrate the Queen's birthday, but it seems like he's actually now back in the U.S. He flew back, I think, this morning or last night. He landed, I think, well, according to the tabloid reports, that he arrived in L.A. on Tuesday. I mean, but it makes sense. I'm sure he was so eager to get home to Meghan. You know, I feel like we still don't know the timing of her, the arrival of their baby girl. I'm just, you know, he's already been away for nearly a week, so I feel like... 
I don't know. It's just fascinating because the son's comment was he left. Harry's alleged tight schedule was why he didn't stay. And it's just like, you guys, uh, come such on. Such a jab. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you, you have to think probably that the celebrations are so pared back and pared down for for this because they're still in a period of mourning. And so I think that um, – you know, even if he were to stay, there's probably still an atmosphere of mourning and sorrow. So I don't think that it would have been. I'm yeah. sure he wished, you know, his grand a happy <laughs> yes. birthday, but he probably was just so eager to get and, back. I'm sure yeah. he misses, you know, not just Megan, but Archie. Like, I can't imagine being away, you know, for a week, any of us. I, know. Like, I don't know. I think that that's hard. But I'm, I'm also curious, you know, what we'll see in terms of a celebration. Will we get a new picture in the next couple of days of Prince Louis? Last yeah. year was the Rainbow Pinterest craft. TBT. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That does not Doesn't feel... Doesn't that feel unreal? I, I, I can't believe that that was just a year ago. That's so wild. Yeah, I know. Um, is Finn the same age? Finn he's um, a couple months older. Okay, okay. Yeah, so he's so just yeah, turned he's three. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Aww. So I like actually I, should really know Louis' age quite well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like two to three is a big. I don't know. Is there a lot of changes that happen there? I feel like they're like talking more. There's. And, I mean, I feel like Finn is suddenly such a chatterbox. I mean, I feel like Louis and was such talking, like a little you know, man, we saw right? That David like, Attenborough video yeah. that he was talking quite early, but I feel yeah. like, um, yeah. I mean, he's they're like little people now. Yeah, got, they've got Aww. jokes. <laughs> I would love to see a new photo of Prince Louis. I want to see what maybe he's maybe it'll come. Hopefully, by you know hopefully. Kate Middleton, the family photog. And now our interview with Omid Scobie. Robros, we're thrilled to welcome Omid Scobie to the pod. He's the co-host of ABC's The AirPod and royal editor at Harper's Bazaar, plus the author of Finding Freedom, the biography about the Sussexes that came out last summer. We are so glad you're here, Omid. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad we could get this together. I know. What has been a sort of relentless royal schedule. I feel like every, I'm sure it's the same for you guys. I'm like waiting for that quiet week that never quite happens. I know. Exactly. It really is. We we remark on that constantly. It's like yeah. there's never a down week. And I feel like they somehow never. seem busier during the pandemic. It's like maybe just yeah. how it goes. I need to start off just by telling you that your book was my main act of self-care at the beginning of the pandemic because <laughs> I have a toddler oh. and um, it afforded me childcare from my husband. I was like, I need to finish this in basically one to two days and I like really shut everything out of my life and it was I mean it was beautifully written so it was um, really it was amazing I'm so curious to hear how your life has been in the year since that came out or nearly a year oh wow I mean I still can't even believe it's gone by so quickly given just how much has happened since then I always knew the book would obviously become a big talking point but I don't think I ever thought that it would still be included in headline stories like months and months later on it somehow has like survived like several wins and different news cycles and there's always something that sort of like reignites an interest in it we've actually just finished the sort of paperback update so i'm kind of like quietly getting ready for for that to happen again (laughs) round two or like it just kind of never as you said never ended but so (laughs) tell us where you're chatting with us from and also how it feels to be out of lockdown i feel like because you're you're based in the i'm answering my own question you're based in the uk yeah you know it's been So we came out of lockdown on the 12th, which feels like a very long time ago, because of course, throughout that time, we've also had national mourning for the death of Prince Philip. And that's been pretty much my focus since his death. And it's been, you know, I've covered many milestone moments with royal stories before, but covering the death of a senior member of the royal family is is an experience. Certainly, I won't, won't forget. I also feel incredibly privileged that I was even able to play some part in remembering such an incredible life. Um, but it was, yeah, it's it's been, today's actually, I'm talking to you from, from my place today. I, I live in London, but this is my first day actually like indoors and not actually out and about. But I think if anything, coming out of lockdown at the time of such a big story actually enabled us to be much more on the ground than we'd ever been before. You know, the palace certainly made provisions for all of the press to have appropriate locations to cover the story. We're, of course, still socially distancing, but it just wasn't as difficult to bring together 
in the way that you could imagine, like prior to the Monday. That said, we're still very much restricted here. So it's sort of yeah. like outdoor socializing with one other household and eating outdoors only, which is great on a day like this. It's sunny, but it has yeah. been pretty cold. I know. We're so lucky that al fresco dining kind of coming back. Like right oh, yeah. now, it, it coincides nicely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Well, that's the thing is that we were chatting before this and, um, when we booked you, we had no idea that there would be, you know, Prince Philip's funeral the weekend before. Um, and now, so you were at Windsor on the ground during the funeral. Where were you exactly? How was that day? Yeah, so the, the palace had set up, I think, for the main British broadcasters. So for BBC and ITV and maybe and Sky, they were obviously within the sort of the grounds of the castle itself. And then sort of adjacent to the castle is Home Park which is where they set up all of the international media organizations. So Commonwealth, US and uh, other parts of the world. So we were, we were there pretty much for the whole day, but we had uh, a beautiful backdrop of the sort of cherry blossom surrounded Windsor Castle. And it was, you know, we had, we were very lucky on for the day in terms of weather. I think everyone was very grateful for that, including of course, those taking part of it, you know, sort of 730 military men and women who had taken part in, because of course we spoke about how intimate the service itself would be with just 30 family members due to the guidelines over here. But I don't think it was until the day itself that I realized that we still had that kind of pomp and fanfare that we're used to with a royal occasion, because of course there was all the ceremonial stuff that took place before and afterwards. And that kind of echoed through the air if you were in the area in Windsor, and it was quite rising in a way to sort of be there for part of that. I, I certainly found myself kind of getting caught up in the emotion of it all. And, you know, I think it was, it was beautifully put together. It felt like Prince Philip through and through. Um, I loved all the sort of symbolic nods to him and his life, not just his royal life, but of course his military life as well that we saw throughout. And, you know, I think to anyone that has lost an elderly family member, you know how big a celebration of their life that final send-off is. And again, as I said, just to sort of be there for part of that, it was, it was a, a sort of a moment that I'll cherish, but also one that I'm so grateful that we were able to sort of drop, uh, put aside all of the other royal drama and stories that had perhaps taken so much focus of the past however many years now. <laughs> that kind of felt like it was truly left at the door for everyone. And it was nice to actually just focus on one. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I was watching, I was actually really surprised how emotional I felt, even through the TV. You know, I think seeing Prince Philip's naval cap atop the uh, casket, I I completely, I mean, I was really emotional. I think that they did a really um, beautiful job on paying attention to COVID, but also honoring his wishes and sort of the you know, royal pomp and circumstance of the day. It was very, very striking. Um, how close were you? I mean, when they set up the press for an, an event like that, how close are you to it? Not as, for this, it was not as close as perhaps we're used to. Again, a mm -hmm. lot of that was down to COVID guidelines. You know, of course, for the show itself, although it was anchored out of New York, we had James Longman, ABC News foreign correspondent, uh, take, sort of carrying the, the, the show over here. And then it was myself, Victoria Murphy, who you had yeah, on we had recently. on last week. She's yes. such a delight. <laughs> and and Robert Jobson as commentators for that. So we all kind of represented a different slice of the story, and it was it was it was a great balance. Uh, yeah, in terms of where we were, I mean, I would say we're sort of you know thirty meters, forty meters mm -hmm. from the castle itself. So you again, like you really felt the sort of as you could hear the kind of. Uh, the bugle and, and some of those moments that were, you know, obviously taking place on camera, you could hear them behind you as well. And you couldn't help but get the sort of goosebumps that came with that. Yeah, it's a piece of history. Yeah, I was gonna say the bagpipes really gave me the goosebumps at the yeah. end when his casket was lowered down. So it was it was really an emotional day, I'm sure. And not to get you sort of focused on drama, but I do want to fact check something with you. Suitgate, what happened there? You know, we're seeing so oh, many yeah. stories that <laughs> Prince Andrew was really the main reason that everyone was wearing morning suits versus their typical military attire. Mm. Do you know more about that? Yeah, you know, it was it was one of my first questions to a source close to Harry before he had even come over here. I was like, is, is has much thought gone into 
dress for the occasion. And I think pretty much from the get-go, everyone who was going was actually under the impression that it would be normal morning suits rather than military uniform. And then after a few days had gone by, there was a story, it was in the Daily Mail, I think, that Prince Andrew had wanted to wear a specific uniform, not just uniform, but a specific uniform, actually for a rank that he didn't technically belong to. And of course, as he's, you know, sort of unofficially retired as a senior working member of the royal family, although he hasn't lost his military honours, I don't think there was anyone rushing to sort of want him to, you know, flex them. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And, you know, and I think that's really where the conversation came from, because Prince Harry was certainly over here knowing he would wear a morning suit, that he would wear his medals. Uh, we, of course, you know, we saw on the day the four that he had that he had chosen. And, you know, I think everyone really tried to be as easygoing as possible. So this story that ultimately came from the Duke of York's camp. Mm-hmm. started this entire conversation about uniform. And I think there were many people that wondered if it was Harry that had something to do with sort of putting his foot down so that he wanted to wear ceremonial dress for the, for the occasion, but it just wasn't, wasn't the case. It was just coming from one person. And I think that, although I doubt that it would have come from the Queen herself, but whoever, you know, at the Lord Chamberlain's office that dealt with that, would have made it pretty clear that everyone does the same thing. Yeah. And I, I think it worked well. And, you know, it felt like there was a uniform to the day anyway. Exactly. Those it with did. military backgrounds had their medals. Um, you know, we saw the royal family members all pretty much in the same look for the day. And I think that that helped not detract from what was actually being celebrated and what the focus was on, which was, of course, the procession, the Land Rover, the, the, the you know, the, as, as you said, the, the naval cap, the sword on top of the coffin, those are the moments that people really should have been looking at and were. Mm-hmm. And I think anything else, especially tied to controversial stories, would have just taken away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, did, I like you said, I, I felt like it really ended up working quite well and it kept the spotlight really on the fact that it was it was very ceremonial, but it was still a family occasion. You know, you saw the yeah. family all united in, in together, but also in dress. Well, and it provided a nice contrast, too, because there were so many, as you mentioned, military personnel. So I think it was, you know, when there was aerial shots that we saw of so far away, you could see exactly who was the royal family members and and yeah. uh, everyone else in uniform. So, yeah. You know, another thing that made me emotional and maybe feeling optimistic was the scene with the brothers, William and Harry, at the mm. end, you know, exiting together, chatting, Kate suddenly kind of trailing a few steps behind talking to Sophie, Countess of Wessex. That was really significant. Am I making too much of that? No, you know, it, <laughs> it, it made me laugh in a way looking back on it because so much focus went on to who was standing next to two of the <laughs> I like memorized the it. <laughs> yeah. And where yeah. everyone was sit- seated inside oh, yeah. the chapel. And people were really reading into what it meant and did it mean that the brothers were still at war? And, you know, I think anyone that's followed sort of royals and royal events for long enough know that there's always like a reason for everything. And I think when we saw that procession line up with uh, Peter Phillips in the middle, you could kind of see by, you know, just the children of Prince Philip in front of them in pretty much age and rank order. But of course, behind them, you've got the great grand, sorry, the grandchildren who, of course, were sort of in age order themselves, you know, the, the eldest grandchild in the middle flanked by the next two. And so to me, it just didn't seem like it was anything to do or spoke to anything about the state of their relationship. What did, of course, as you say, was that moment afterwards, which was very organic. Of course, you know, they were, you know, we had it in our notes that they were leaving in cars. So it was a nice day and it made sense that everyone walked up. It's only sort of probably a six minute walk Mm -hmm. um, and would have seemed perhaps a bit stiff if everyone left quietly without really giving... I guess the public a moment to really see how the royal family are doing and how united they are in that very moment. And I think leading that, of course, was that moment between the brothers. I think it has spurned a lot of ridiculous stories about peace talks and family summits and all the rest of it. And, you know, look, I've been speaking with sources here and there throughout this time without sort of intruding too much. And it really seems like that's not the case. This is just like a moment where family drama was put to one side. And I think that everyone's capable of that. You know, I think 
we often heighten things in, on the sort of reporting side of things, but actually, you know, it's very easy, I think, in a moment like that for a family to not think of their own issues and really just think about supporting the Queen and supporting each other. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, you know, it's, it's the image that I think alongside that image of the Queen inside the service itself, the image of the two brothers together is another one that I think that we'll see used again and again as, as the story continues to develop. I'm sure this was, or I know this was certainly an icebreaker that despite not actually getting deep into the issues that, you know, have troubled their relationship for some time, and the same goes for Harry and his father, they were at least able to break the ice and take that step forward. So next time, yeah. there will be an opportunity to really talk about it without the awkwardness. And, you know, that next time might be very soon. We've got the the Diana statue unveiling this summer. I don't think it is July 1st. I think that they're looking into date options at the moment. Mm-hmm. But that will but that will certainly be another opportunity for the brothers to at least pick up where they left off. Yeah, that icebreaker moment. I do feel like, you know, we were talking about it is amazing the stories that have come like the lip reading and when they had masks, <laughs> the masks on. on, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. It'll always happen. I think any royal get together, you'll always have the uh the body language experts and the lip reading oh, experts yeah. no matter <laughs> if they're wearing masks or not. Yeah. I do want to ask though, was there an update after that moment of what was said between them or no, that was just very, it was just cameras and uh, we didn't get any kind of snippets of what the conversation was at all. No, you know, I think it, it, it's been interesting as a journalist covering this because I think, of course, there was the, the Queen's sort of initial period of mourning and then the sort of family's period of mourning, which from a work perspective continues until later this week. And so it, it's also meant that certain people within the institution or wherever that you might be used to sort of speaking to for information actually aren't available and you just have to respect that time. So it surprised me when I've seen certain things come out or alleged because I think, well, the person that would know isn't actually speaking at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, but I think, you know, there was a story, I think, about Harry writing a personal letter to his dad before the, the service. And I spoke to a source today who, who said that there's just no such thing. I think everyone, it shows how keen everyone is for this sort of uh, makeup to happen. But I think it also just highlights like the absurdity of royal reporting sometimes within certain sections of the press. Totally. totally. Yeah. Um, we did note that Megan laid a wreath at the funeral, mm. or I guess Megan and Harry together, you know, organized a wreath that was laid at Prince Philip's funeral with a handwritten note from her. Um, you know, this comes on the heels, obviously, you know, of Harry and Megan's explosive Oprah interview. So the funeral really did for royal watchers feel like a chance to put differences aside. Do mm. you have any kind of insight into you know, I guess the status of those differences, I, I know Megan probably was keen to come over. Doctors told her no. Um, yeah. So I wondered if you had any insight there. I think if anything, it was just a time when those issues were forgotten about, even if it's briefly or temporarily. And ultimately, these are not issues that really concern the Queen or involve the Queen or Prince Philip. If, if anything, we know that that was a relationship for Harry and Meghan and enjoyed sort of unwaveringly this entire time. And, you know, I think everyone within that family is, including Harry, despite what people might say, are very capable of putting duty to the crown and to the queen first. And I think that's exactly what we saw over the recent days. But as a result of that, I don't think we've seen anything change in terms of some of those issues that need to be addressed and kind of unpacked properly. I think it's certainly taken away perhaps some of the edge Mm -hmm. off some of the Mm -hmm. anger or um, sort of ill feelings that certain individuals may have towards one another. But I think all it's done is just kind of perhaps maybe a few months ago where the door was like firmly shut, it's like ajar now and Mm -hmm. time will do the rest. And I think more in person time because, you know, we're so used to the narrative these sort of royal family moments evolving, A, in the pages of the press, but also through the voices of 
palace aides and courtiers and sources and who are often in the know, but obviously aren't conveying the exact version of events or the exact feelings that one may have. But it has always fascinated me how much family member, royal family members listen to what those sources are saying. And they do pay attention to what's being written and then they do take it personally and then they allow it to shape their own situation with another family member. And before you know it, you have two individuals who haven't spoken for months, but have read every word that they have supposedly thought about one another. It's a really unhealthy environment. So when you can actually get them in a room together, Mm -hmm. that's when the progress really happens. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, just especially at the moment, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. COVID adds a wrench into that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It seemed (laughs) though, like after that walk up Chapel Hill that we saw, like um, we heard, I think, stories that the Cambridges stayed for a while at Windsor Castle, as did Harry and the Queen. We know that they can be yeah. 15 people in a room at a time um, for the wake. So I don't know if you heard anything else about that or if there were any um, other details. Only that the the time spent, there was a wake, although it wasn't officially a wake. It was more of a sort of quote unquote wake. Okay. And it was, it took place outside, um, which of course is not an environment that the Queen would probably be spending a lot of time standing around. Right. Um, that said, conversations did, of course, take place between all family members. So whilst I think everyone was there for the Queen in that moment, we have heard from sources that William and Harry did continue those conversations that day, as did Prince Charles. I've heard other stories suggesting that there had been longer sit-downs over the days that followed. Whilst conversations did continue in some capacity. I have heard that from sources. I haven't heard anything about sort of deep discussions about any of the issues. And listen, who who knows why? I think yeah. there's so many, I, I don't want to act like I know everything about this situation because I think there are so many gaps that will perhaps be filled over time, but also yeah. it was a, probably one of the most personal weekends that the royal family have had in a long time, which has meant so, a lot less staff around them. And I would imagine that that will lead to a lot less leaks about about the conversations that took place, which is great. That's definitely what they need. And I think more of that would certainly benefit them. But as I said, and I hate to sort of repeat myself because everyone has said this, but these are those steps forward that Mm. at the very least like matter massively. But I would also think that there needs to be a conversation that involves the Sussex family right. and individuals, because this isn't just about Harry and William. This is also about the journey that we heard from the Duchess of Sussex Absolutely. and perhaps some of the things that haven't been addressed within that. And there are many things that Harry can talk to about with people, but I'm sure there are also things that need to be said to the Duchess too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we're curious about. If you, you know, you're you're close to many sources at the palace. Is there a PR overhaul going on? We're seeing a lot of ch- um, information about exits of key staffers, particularly those that work with Charles and William. Yeah. Have you heard anything more about that? This, I mean, look, it's all it's forever evolving. It was interesting to see sort of two top aides for the Cambridges and for Prince Charles leave at very similar periods of time, but they also came in at very similar periods of time. So whilst I, I, I think that might to the outside look like there's sort of an overhaul taking place, I think it's forever shifting. You know, mm. uh, ultimately, whoever's been working for the Cambridges several years ago were working for a very different Cambridge family to the one that is now stepping into very advanced, extremely senior roles. And you then need to bring in different minds within that as well. So I think if anything, we're seeing, and the same's happening with Prince Charles as well. He, at the moment, you know, P- Prince Philip leaves a hole in the family. Mm-hmm. And I think that Prince Charles is sort of, has it on his shoulders now to step into that kind of pillar of the family role that the Duke of Edinburgh had, almost this kind of quasi king type role, even if it's not. I mean, I, I just use that to sort of simplify simplify it. So I think, yes, we'll see the team then around them develop as well, because there are, there are new approaches required to a lot of the work that we'll see moving forward. I think it's a really interesting time for the family in, in general, because we often talk about the changing face of the monarchy. And 
you know, after the, the death of Prince Philip, we're kind of seeing that happen before our very eyes. You know, the conversation of reign change, Prince Charles taking to the throne is now a very real conversation and one that will no doubt be taking place regularly within the institution itself. So it's a really exciting time to even just be covering this just from a news perspective. Absolutely. Really yeah. I mean, like you said, it never slows down. You meant I like the quasi king term. I feel like that kind of is appropriate only because we know that there are hundreds of patronages that Prince Philip now, yeah. you know, uh, will be distributed amongst the rest of the family. We've heard mention of a, a big you know, summit to which decide, might like mm. not be accurate as you were saying. Yeah, we you know, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> they, coming out. I love a summit. A summit. <laughs> I was gonna summit. say that feels like a very big word for everyone. <laughs> summit on anything. Yeah, that's a meeting of the royal. Sounds yeah. very official. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but where do you think, just in your opinion, where does the monarchy go from here? I mean, are we looking at the slim down monarchy that Charles has always mm. wanted? What What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, we, we often talk about the, the sort of slimmed down future for the firm, but we don't often talk about how that might affect the workload because, you know, that list of patronages that the Duke of Edinburgh has to his name is, is quite overwhelming to look at. And I don't think that there is a system in place that could properly distribute those to all of the other royal family members or working royals because that covers a legacy of sort of 65 years for the Duke. And so I think we'll see many of them sort of go into retirement or pause. I think there'll be a number of organisations who will move forward without a royal patron. And that may sort of come around in circles in, in the future ahead. But I think that what we've seen, certainly from the Cambridges, even the Sussexes, when they're working members of the royal family, that kind of lesser approach actually sees a lot more impactful work taking place. And, you know, Harry and Meghan had a very small list of patronages between them. But what they managed to do with those patronages was really impressive. And I think we've seen the Cambridges do very much the same with theirs. You know, certainly as Kate expands on her early years work this year, again, it's going to really continue with that small group of patronages that we know her to work with and Mm -hmm. maybe introduce another one. And so I think that slim down approach to the work will also include tighter focuses on smaller groups of organizations and initiatives and of course their own along the way so we're seeing the kind of working model of the royal family change maybe less openings and unveilings and more focus on actual sort of cause driven initiatives that they'll lead and if anything, that will be what shapes the future of the sort of royal family legacy. Yeah, it feels like quality over quantity for sure is like what they're aiming towards. That's exactly it. I think we, you know, that it's, this is already an institution that is under great pressure to modernize and be relevant. And I think that that relevancy also comes with being involved in issues that matter to society that we're in today. And so perhaps for some of the sort of royal patronages that we may look at, there may not have a place in the sort of modern way of royal work um, because it perhaps just doesn't connect with the, with the public in the same way. And I think ultimately that is the only way that they can prove themselves to be sort of worthy of the, the kind of public investment, you know, time and money that goes into the institution. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how these conversations shape over the months ahead, because I think we have so much love and respect for the Queen. And so she carries the royal family in many ways based on that. I think we're kind of quite forgiving for that reason. But I don't know if that will be the same attitude when Prince Charles takes the throne. I think there are many that will start to question the purpose of the royal family. So if they can turn around and be like, well, this is our work. Mm -hmm. This is what we're achieving. This is what we're bringing to society. This is how we're bettering society um, in a dramatic way. Then I think that that's kind of really the answer or the sort of key to their long lasting future. Yeah. And I think we're all still waiting for sort of an answer on a lot of the things that were brought up, like the allegations of racism and sort of their attention on mental health issues from the Oprah interview. So it will be interesting to see, again, it's, it's, 
we've all, it's only been about six weeks since that interview. So I'm still, you know, we're all still yeah. kind of waiting to hear, you know, we're, you know, we don't want to take too much of your, more of your time, but we're just curious also like, what, what are you hearing? What's next for the Sussexes? I feel like in the last few weeks, um, we've heard, you know, Harry getting a couple of new jobs, Netflix, all that stuff is going to be kind of coming online in the coming months yeah. too. It's exciting, I think, that we'll actually get to see a lot of the things that we've been talking sort of almost exhaustively about. (laughs) We've had a lot of time to build this up (laughs) because of the pandemic. (laughs) So to actually see some of the fruits of the Netflix labor, to hear the Spotify series. Which Which is amazing. Oh, I loved that first episode. At least we got the... It was a great start. Yeah. It was such a great start. But I I think, you know, I, I, I think what's really interesting is that they're just not rushing. I don't think those first episodes of the Spotify series will be around for quite some time. And, you know, I think that's partly to do with the fact there's a baby on the way. And so Mm. there are also other focuses. But I think, if anything, that's the one thing I've seen change in the way that they work. You know, when they were working members of the royal family, they were desperate to kind of prove themselves and jump from one big project to the next. I mean, you only need to look at how quickly Megan sort of got the SmartWorks collection out or how quickly Harry got the first Invictus off the ground. That's kind of how they approach their work. But I think that there's also a sort of a beauty in taking your time as well. And I think that when you want to create a long lasting legacy for them, for yourselves and for them, it is for them just as the Sussexes, not as Royals, slow and steady is the way forward. But I think that, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be seeing the growth of the Archwell Foundation continue this year. And I think that you know, we heard a lot of about the sort of initial partnerships and organizations that they'll be working with over the rest of the year. So I think we're going to see a lot of that as time as time goes by. But it'll be very interesting to see also how they'll continue to sort of work or not work with the media, because I think they're lucky in a way that no matter what they do, there is this sort of like press that's desperate to have every detail but again there'll come a point where they'll also have to prove themselves yeah where that sort of like honeymoon period of just like excitement over what they're doing may subside a little and then that's when it's like all right what are the goods yeah and so we know they're we, <laughs> yeah. we know they're on the way um but it's just a case of actually seeing them and i think that that the first sort of netflix show, i don't even think that the invictus series that that'll be out next year will be the first thing that we see from mm. archwell on on Netflix, I think that there's other things. I mean, I'm eagerly that. waiting their children's programming. I know. <laughs> I feel like my son was smitten with Harry, even just reading for that Thomas and the Royal Train. It was just a tiny cameo, but he's <laughs> he's a selective viewer, and he was into it. So I'm hoping. I think that they have their finger on the pulse with kids stuff, but I'm excited. I, I think that there there needs to be like an Archwell like meditation app <laughs> with like story time. Yes. And- Little, I'm, oh, I'm, I would totally download that. Yes, that sounds for amazing. sure. <laughs> so, our, you know, we just want to check in. What is next for you? Another book? Like, a lot has obviously happened since your last one came out. Yeah, you know, definitely some rest. I have been saying I need a break for a while now. We've just, yeah, we've just updated the, or we're just finishing off the update to the paperback for Finding Freedom, which is, it's nice to at least bring in sort of like the final leg of that journey. You know, the book leaves off where the couple sort of a settling into their like new life in California, but so much has happened since then. So it's, it's great to be able to tell that in the update. I have started book two. Um, <gasps> that is nothing. <laughs> we'll contain it is our nothing excitement. To do, <laughs> it is nothing to do with uh, finding freedom okay. or the Sussexes, but um, still very yeah, exciting. That's all I can say for now, but it's, it's nice to, to, to get my teeth in something new. And there are some other things in the works, but I'm just, yeah, you know, I think my life also is kind of tied into the, the news cycle as well. So it, really Absolutely. depends what the royal family do too. Well, you're a wonderful yeah. writer. We're really excited for that. Yeah, please Keep us come posting. back on. Yeah, when the next book is out, we'd <laughs> yeah. love to have you. Thank um, you. The one question we ask every guest, last question before you go, if you could identify with any royal, living or dead, who would it be? <laughs> oh, wow. Identify with a royal. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Not expecting. <laughs> we really one. surprised Victoria with this one last week. Yeah, too. she was totally caught up. What, what did Victoria say? She said Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. She said oh, they had the same trajectory, they, similar yeah, they, timeline. Like the yeah. length of her career kind of coincided. Royals' career. You know what? I would say Prince Harry, but only for one reason, and that is that he's never been afraid 
to follow a sort of different or sort of march to a different beat. And there's something I really enjoy about that quality of his. It's sort of very unapologetic. It has got him into trouble. And, you know, for me, covering Royals, I feel like I've taken a very different approach to perhaps some of my opinions and some of the, also just the the side of the story that I've also focused on in certain areas. Um, and there's obviously a price to pay for that at times. But I... I like the fact that there's someone within the family that also has that kind of approach to it, that is just doing things a little differently and doesn't care about what other people necessarily think. Um, so I can, I can relate to that. Omid, thank you so, so much for spending so much thank time with you. us. And again, it's a thrill to have you on and we would love to have you back anytime. Yes. No, thank, thank you, you guys so for having me. Oh, it was such a treat getting to talk with him. Omid is such a wealth of knowledge and I feel like we learned so much uh, he is on Twitter at Scoby if you want those updates. And now, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. So my low this week, just that image of the Queen sitting in alone in the pew at St. George's Chapel at the funeral, head down. I feel like it was such a powerful image and one that has kind of like seared into, I feel like, our collective memory as a society. I think that, you know, it really hits home, too, for all of us during the pandemic. As you mentioned at the top of the episode, it really feels like that's kind of a symbol of the loneliness and the grief that we've all um, experienced in some way and the loss over this last year. Um, and, you know, makes me sad to think that it's probably coming up for her as well. It's the last of the great generation. And now, you know, all these events that she would attend with him by her side or sit in the pew next to him, it's just now going to be her. So I think that that was, it was really a sad image and, and one that will stick with me for a long time. Yeah, totally. I felt like every time the cameras panned to her, also like the, the extra wide brim of her hat that you couldn't really see her face ever. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was yeah. like thankful for the mask coverage almost because it yeah. was like hiding a lot of the emotion, which is I know. Nice. I think that that's kind of a nice thing when something has like that has to be so public. It actually adds this like protection for everyone mm-hmm. in multiple ways, yeah. <laughs> health and emotion. Yeah. So Milo is just kind of, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on the memorial realization of Philip and in particular in regard to the quote unquote gaffes that he made. And this has come up in a few different pieces we've seen, you know, in just kind of looking back at his life, you know, and obviously, of course, no one wants to speak ill of the dead. And that's not my intention. Philip lived a wonderful, impressive life. But I think it's not okay to gloss over several of the comments that were made. I mean, I think I I loved how I'm so glad we're talking about this because I feel like we, you know, had tribute uh, bonus episode about it and talked a lot last episode about Prince Philip and his legacy but it is so important to remember every aspect of that legacy and so I and our co-worker Stephanie wrote an amazing piece on Pure Wow about it as well and how how she feels about um, his death and and kind of the controversies that his life also entailed so sorry yeah. to interrupt no 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 I mean exactly and I think because I think a lot of the comments weren't as Megan once you know said it to Oprah they weren't rude they were racist and I think you know in particular this week we saw a columnist in the UK Times completely excuse it and uh, she called Philip's casual racism the marker of a quote unquote crotchety old man but then this line we secretly rather enjoyed them meaning those remarks which is like I just cannot believe my this jaw went to dropped. Like, because it's yeah. like you think about it. It's like, yes, she wrote those lines, but multiple editors are seeing that and signing off on that. Like, I mean, I just don't. My immediate reaction was no, and so I don't know how that kind of got through. And it implies that his offensive comments made our mouths drop. But lol, like, it doesn't make any sense. It's not okay. And I think my low is just you know, casual racism is still toxic racism, and we need to acknowledge it versus make light of it. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, I too was shocked and I I cannot believe. I mean, the amount of people you think would see the story that's printed on the front page. Yeah, you, on the front I can't, page. I mean, there's so many editors that review, there's so many copy editors. The process is is, you know, so we know fine to home. I know. So <laughs> a I mean, pen involved. Yeah, exactly. So it just it, yeah, really mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, well, my high this week, Downton Abbey too. Two sequels that we absolutely need. I, you know, for one, I feel like I don't usually like sequels. I, I think they're usually unnecessary, but in this day and age, 
Downton Abbey 2 is what I need this year. So it comes out December 22nd, 2021. The best Christmas gift I could ever How did they keep for. it under wraps? I don't know. Well, they just started production last week. Oh, so okay, it's going to okay. be really quick production. You're like, the world it's, needs this. <laughs> yeah, the world needs this. Same original cast. Plus, they're adding Hugh Dancy, <gasps> Laura Haddock, and Natalie Bay, and Dominic West, who is <gasps> basically in everything I'm going to be watching this year. Yeah. So really Way interesting. Way to go with Dominic, I guess. Yeah. And then Ted Lasso, we got a trailer for season two so i feel like that dropped right after our chat with omen and it was just a good day (laughs) it really it really was and the trailer is so funny and there's new character and it looks really wonderful so what a good high um my high is is a little bit dated now but i just wanted to comment on it the We've seen so many images trickle out on the royal family Instagram account and, you know, Kensington Royal and stuff in honor of Philip. But what we haven't really talked about is the photography credits, which have been Kate Middleton a few times or a couple of times and Sophie Countess of Wessex. And I just I really am loving their role as as family photographers. You know, we saw that shot of the kids, um, you know, Charlotte. Hamming it up in between Elizabeth and Philip, the little and pose. What, yes, what was this? Little, like, I love the so little Charlotte. pose that yeah. she did. So good. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, then also the the really wonderful shot of the Queen and Philip in Scotland that was snapped by Sophie. I just think specifically with Kate, it's just such an incredible talent that she has. And to see the breadth of that from Hold Still, that campaign that she orchestrated in honor of, you know, looking back on the pandemic, which will be in the history books, but also these these family images that will be in the history books. It's just... I love that. I'm, I'm I, so impressed. I have to say, I totally, have a hobby. <laughs> miss, I totally miss that it was the Duchess of Cambridge that shot these. Oh, Roberta. I, I mean, I didn't even know. So I was well, like, the photos is, were so that makes like it so you much focused. better. Yeah. I know. I was it's incredible. <laughs> I was so focused on the the actual photo. I but I do love, love that. that that picture of the Queen there and Prince Philip sitting in the grass. There's so much emotion there too. I don't think we usually see like that very candid true happiness that's on her face so I I thought that was really lovely all right well just a reminder before we close leave us a royal rating here is one titled my favorite pod thank you for providing me with all the royal news for the week in one enjoyable podcast I love the row rose Oh, we, we love the Roros too. too. We love our Roros. <laughs> Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and send us an email info at gallerypodcasts.com. You can also follow us personally on Instagram. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. Until next week, God, God save, save the, the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.